on this week's episode did army of the dead reach new heights for zombie movies has nobody become the next john wick and will biomutant scratch that video game itch all this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos welcome to the pop culture cosmos and we're back with another episode of the pop culture cosmos this is gerald glassford from pop culture cosmos game source inside sports fantasy football and the lakers fast break we truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our shows and if you can please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Plus, if you can like, share, subscribe, follow, or do anything that you can to support us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos and popculturecosmos.com, it is sincerely appreciated. Well, it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He is our own cryptocurrency analyst with Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out what he's doing today at Josh Culture Cosmos on popculturecosmos.com and also everything going on with his book, Congratulations, You Suck. And of course, the great podcast that he has that you should check out while it's still out there and still available to listen to, Topicocalypse, and of course, his regular podcast, the Super BS Gamescast. It is my good friend, Mr. Josh Culture Cosmos, who I know as Josh Peterson. What's so, up, man? Hey, hey. I mean, yeah, I, I'm I'm invested in Dogecoin. I got some glasses. That makes me a cryptocurrency expert. Absolutely. Well, all I'm going to say to everybody out there, I'm not. I want to go into specifics, but you know, I think that we're going to have to do another offshoot podcast that we're going to have to put on financial networks because the conversation between you and Mr. Castle PCC, Marcus De La Garza, I think is going to have to go down as far as something people need to have to listen to at some point in time. But then again, we're not financial analysts, but we stayed at a Holiday Inn last night, and we think we are. (laughs) There we go. There we go. Okay, so before we dive into things today, I don't know if anyone's had a chance to read the newest arc of Iron Fist comic books. It's called Iron Fist Heart of the Dragon. It is fantastic. It's like the best comic book arc that I've read in a long time. I don't want to like spoil the story, but they incorporate a koi from Black Panther in it. And at first I was like, oh man, it's going to be like another one of Marvel's Marvel and Disney's like big diversity pushes, but it is blended so well. And she is so awesome in this comic book fighting with Iron Fist. Like if you guys get a chance, definitely check it out. It's got one more issue. It's on issue six right now. It's, it's going to wrap up in, in issue seven, but yeah, definitely check it out because it is absolutely fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what, also here today with us is our second financial expert with Pop Culture Cosmos. They don't want to go ahead and give financial advice. They're, you know, Basically, they're investing their own money and what you do with yours is all on your own. But it is a good man indeed. You got to check him out on the Twitter and Instagram at CastlePCC with a K. It is my good friend indeed as well, Mr. Marcus De La Garza, dropping in for just a few minutes. How's it going, man, on your awesome weekend so far? 
You know, it's going really well. The uh, NASCAR race this weekend is at the Austin track at Circuit of the Americas. So I'm looking forward to uh, hopping back into that once we're done talking Army of the Dead. But yeah, I mean, like you said, we did have a great cryptocurrency discussion. We're not financial analysts, but, you know, I can say that, you know, like Josh is in Dogecoin. I'm also in Doge. I'm in SafeMoon and a couple other things. But this market this past week, that was rough watching Bitcoin tank and all the FUD appear in the news and it's it's wild to see what's going on with Bitcoin and it's really affecting the rest of the marketplace. Once Bitcoin finds its footing, I, I'm sure the altcoin market will start to uh, rebound as well. But, you know, for right now, it's it's scary. Go buy those dips if you can. But uh, again, not financial analysts, not financial advice. But they did stay at a Holiday Inn last night. We did. Yes, there you go. But great to have both you guys here. We're going to be talking about a lot of great things, including is nobody. The movie that's still out in theaters right now and coming soon to video, is that going to be the next John Wick? I'll share my thoughts on it because I got a chance to check it out. Plus also, is The Bad Batch that next hit series for Disney Plus? We'll also speculate on that coming up later on the show as well. Josh and I have finally entered the Mass Effect Legendary Edition universe, so we'll close out the show with that. Plus, we're going to talk some Biomutant. What is Biomutant? Well, we'll tell you what Biomutant is, as it's the latest video game that's going to be dropping this week. Is it a AAA release that you need to check out? We'll tell you our thoughts on it coming up here in a little bit. Plus also, as Mr. Castle PCC Marcus De La Garza said, Army of the Dead as well. And we will have, for a few minutes on the back end of the show, Noe and Fine from Honey Queen sharing some vitriol on a certain thing as well. But first, my friends, it is a trip. Let's go. We're going to get in the car. Okay, you guys, who's got shotgun with me on this trip? And whoever's got backseat. Yeah, rock, guys. paper, scissors, man. That's how we do this. All yeah. right, all right. Okay, okay. Because we're going to go on a little trip. Get the car revving here. Get it going. Because we're going to take a trip to Rumorville with Josh Peterson. Okay, so speaking of speculation here, there's, there's a bunch of rumors floating around the web. You know, I don't want to give... Gee, does that happen? I didn't it's, know. Yeah, right. It's it's from a number of different websites. Okay, so I don't I don't want to like, you know, feed into these rumors. But the rumors are that with E3 coming up, Square is getting ready to announce a bunch of PlayStation Five exclusive Final Fantasy games. Okay, and I know that like I'm an Xbox guy, Marcus. You're a PlayStation guy. We get yeah. along with each other. All right. We do. So I want to have like a conversation about this. Like if this is true, if Square is about to announce a bunch of PlayStation 5 exclusive Final Fantasies and also the Final Fantasy 7 remake Integrate has now been it's now said it's going to be exclusive to PlayStation 5 for I want to say like six months to a year, which means Xbox players will not get the remake for six months to a year to two years, probably if it ever happens at all. So how smart is it? In this time where we're having this semiconductor shortage, how smart is it for a company like Square to make a game that is exclusive to a console that nobody can get their hands on? Because I like I, you know, I want a PlayStation 5. I I spent I queued up at the GameStop website last week, clicking for like 30 minutes trying to get myself one, couldn't get it. Right. So how smart is it? Because, you know, looking at even as an Xbox fan, like I think it's awesome that Bethesda and Microsoft bought Bethesda, but I still think that it's 
in these times, it's not good for the video game industry to have something being released specifically for one console or another. So again, like in this time where people can't get these consoles, how smart is it for a company like Square to make something that's exclusive to a console that nobody can get? I, I honestly, man, I think it's it's not very smart at all. But at the same time, this is some long term strategic planning. I think what we're looking at are the board of directors looking down the road and seeing that the semiconductor shortage will be solved here in the next year. And what they're trying to do is set themselves up to make as much money as possible. Yes, you could probably get a mad cash grab right now if you had this game ready to go for you know both consoles for everything else out there. Yeah, that's a mad cash grab. You compromise the product, maybe, maybe not, and trying to do the porting over from the PlayStation 5 over to the Xbox. You know, are you going to lose something there? Is it going to cost you more time? What are you really missing out on here? So I think if you keep plan that was make it PlayStation exclusive, regardless of the semiconductor shortage, you're putting yourself in the best position for financial success as a franchise. And it's not like they've ever really hurt for money, but you know, you do want to do the thing that's going to continue to make you financially successful. So I understand why they're doing it. But at the same time, I think the exclusivity might be a miss here in the long run, just because, yeah, it's going to be hard for people, especially you and me, to go get that unit so that we can play Final Fantasy. Are you going to miss out on that that whoosh of, hey, let's get in there and play, you know, Final, Final mm-hmm. Fantasy, just that pop culture vibe, you know, it's and I think that, yeah, traditionally, we've seen games that you know, if you if you release a year later on Xbox or on PlayStation, yeah, you don't lose too much of that oomph behind the initial release. But I think this is a dangerous game to play. And I think what we're looking at is a high stakes game of poker. You know, you made a lot of very good points here, but I'm also thinking that like you look at something like Final Fantasy VII Remake, right? That came out last May, if I remember correctly. And it's now dropped $20 in price. So you're like we're also living in a time where game prices are dropping within the first like six months that they're on sale like you can get something anywhere from if it starts out at 60 chances are three or four months later you're going to be able to find it for anywhere from 20 to 40 dollars so for immediate releases like this is might not be the best move for long-term releases yeah but i mean again we have games hopefully coming out in the holiday season and you know the exclusivity is it's probably not going to be very good for the market in the immediate future but yeah gerald sorry Oh, no worries. This is like raising my hand in class. But I wanted to ask this. Does this sound like to you a retaliation by Sony for the exclusivity that will take place between certain Bethesda games and Xbox? I think it is, especially with the fact that Starfield has been heavily rumored and most likely will be a Xbox exclusive game which is Starfield, if everybody doesn't know out there, is the latest RPG in development with Bethesda. That's an exclusive and brand new IP. And that will most likely, again, from what we're hearing in the rumors, I think Jason Schreier from Bloomberg, he just announced that in one of his stories that that Starfield is most likely going to be a Xbox exclusive. So when you have that, as far as RPG exclusives, especially the, the quality of Bethesda RPGs, for the most part, Fallout 76 notwithstanding, I'm saying that, as we say on the Friday show, Sony backed up the Brinks truck. And if that's the case, they're providing a lot of money to Square Enix up front in order to take care of this. And with yeah. the, you also got to remember that PlayStation 4 won the last console generation with over 100 million sold. So you, 
yes, they're having issues now as far as the availability, but they're projecting out, like Mark has said, the future success of the PlayStation 5. And even if it doesn't do as well, even though it's starting off as far as the value of it and people wanting it and the sales of it are still starting out extremely strong, and we've talked about that on the show already, they're still going to project out to 80, 90, and 100 million PlayStation 5 sold over the course of its lifetime. So I'm assuming that's the reason why, and it's, it's just a retaliationary move by PlayStation to go ahead and fend off of Xbox. And did you have that, that book in mind for, for Jason Trier? Press Reset, Ruin, and Recovery in the Video Game Industry. That's the one he's been marketing lately. From what I'm hearing, a good reviews on it. It's another good read. And Josh has turned me on to his work before as far as books. And I think people should give that a check out when they can. But Josh, I mean, you're the one who brought this up. Your thoughts on it? Because I think, like I said, this is a money move by PlayStation and a retaliatory move against what Bethesda is doing at Xbox. Yeah, I mean, it, honestly, my issue is not that it's exclusive to to Sony. You know, like I I'm a huge Final Fantasy fan. Like it's one of my favorite gaming franchises. But I guess my issue here is that it's exclusive to, again, the console that nobody can get. If it's available on PS4, like I wouldn't have such a big issue because I can still play it. But like for the main, like they're saying we're gonna be experiencing console shortages into 2023. So say a Final Fantasy game like Integrate I, is something, again, I can't play because it's not on PlayStation 4. So say you can't do it this year and I still can't get one next year. Like, what is the point of that? Like, you're isolating an entire group of gamers for, what, a year and a half? It just doesn't seem like a great decision to me. I just want to chip in here and just say, you know, I, I know that the projected chip shortage is going to last till 2022, which will extend into 2023 when it comes to consoles. How much of this, though, is just manufactured hype at the same time, right? right. What we're doing is keeping, you know, supply low, demand high. Nintendo's famous for this. Oh, yeah. For sure. yeah. And, and we're just watching them just add to the count here. All right. Well, now it's until 2023 that it's going to be hard to get a PS5. And everyone's going to love the PS5 because we've seen all these gameplay videos and know how magnificent it is. And let's just keep this this uh, demand going for an extra two or three years here. Because not only is Sony going to make money, but the resellers that they partner with are, are making money here. Resellers and retailers. So, yeah. you know, everybody's making some great money off the high demand, low supply here. And let's just keep it rolling. I, th I think this is kind of what we're looking at here as well. Yeah, I'm just I, when we're done recording, I'm going to send a very strongly worded email to Sony. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll read it on air next week. OK, and I'm sure they'll follow up with sorry. We're, you know, got to do what you got to do. So <laughs> if you have any thoughts out there on the possible and that's, again, we'll probably know next month at E3, the possibility of Sony having their own exclusive line of Square Enix Final Fantasy games that are coming exclusively to PlayStation 5. If you have thoughts on that, is it fair to Xbox owners? Is it just a move in the console wars like I'm thinking? And you know what? It's got to be what it's got to be, because if you're PlayStation, you got to retaliate against Xbox. And then if you're Xbox, you got to retaliate against PlayStation. There's got to be something that you got to go ahead and have only on your console that people want to drive their business towards. So we're seeing this shifting and going back and forth between these two. So it's very interesting to see. But when it all comes down to it, the availability of these consoles is paramount. And if it's not available to consumers, then really no one's going to be buying the products no matter what you release on it. So we want to hear your thoughts on this ongoing trend for both consoles, the availability exclusivity and whole nine yards 
please share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break Podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Well, guys, we've come to a screeching halt on our trip to Rumorville for this week. But I wanted to go ahead before we head on out as far as the half hour break. We've got to be talking Army of the Dead because I know we only have Mr. Marcus De La Garza here for only a few more minutes. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back with my good friend, Mr. Josh Culture Cosmos. I wanted to ask you this. You got a chance to see it. I know you were sharing your thoughts with me as you were watching it. And I know later on we'll also have Noe and Fine from Hunnic Queen sharing a couple minutes on it. But I want to hear your thoughts on Army of the Dead. And I did get a chance to see it as well, and I do have some thoughts on it myself. Okay, real quick. I have not seen it, and I have heard mixed things. Like I had a friend say that it was not a good movie, but that's like the best thing about it is that it's not trying to be good. So I'm I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say about this. Josh, you hit the nail on the head there. It's a good movie, but it's not trying to be good. You know, so like I had three, you know, main points I wanted to make with this movie. Visually stunning. You know, if you look at the CGI, as the movie goes on, the gore intensity of the deaths and what they're doing to really add to everything with CGI is ratcheted up as you go through the movie. It's amazing. You know, not to say that there's not some high points early on, but I mean, it just feels like we take that and just escalate it up pretty quickly. And with that comes the textures. When you're watching this movie, you kind of just get hit with everything on the frame. You get that textural zombie kill. You get a little bit of that blood splatter on screen. You get a little bit of that, you know, whatever it is, you know, you just get that texture. And it's it's just really, really interesting to me. But I think you, you hit the nail on the head there where it's not a good movie. It's not trying to be good, but it's kind of good in that sense because of that. Gerald, what did you think about the CGI with Tig Notaro? I thought that was interesting how they did all that. Interesting. Not always 100% effective. Yep. And I think we don't have that technology yet where it's going to be like, okay, we if we didn't tell you ahead of time that she wasn't there, you wouldn't notice. So, uh, you know, at the time of, that she filmed it, she filmed it at a separate time from the, all the other actors. And we went into reasons why on our Friday show. But I'm going to say it, it, look, it was a good try. And certain times it does maybe look kind of passable. But there are other times where it, she just stood out and for all the wrong reasons as far as the actual CG of it goes. But yeah. her performance was pretty good regardless. I mean, under the circumstances, the fact that you're probably acting against nobody or yeah. people that are just like right off camera just reading you lines. You know, I think that she did the best under those circumstances. But again, it wasn't a fully blended thing in it and it's it's it, the the lines are becoming blurred but it's not blurry enough yet if that makes yeah. sense and speaking of blurriness i mean i know that those super high res cameras those hdr cameras that you're seeing that that focus squarely on those individuals uh, i saw them like i said for the first time at wrestlemania being used for the entrances of right. the individuals and i noticed that camera really was used in this to super focus on one individual at a time, providing some real clarity and making everything else in the shot extremely blurry and blurring everybody out. But 
I, I don't know if I liked it or didn't like it. I still have like thoughts on it. Still look kind of video game-ish. I think it's the thing I said with those entrances from WrestleMania. Yep. It almost felt I was playing 2K, I think. And, uh, you know, when I watched that and both the Army of the Dead and also WrestleMania. And then when it comes to what I saw with the rest of the movie, I mean, it is what it is. It's a bad movie that wants to be kind of like cultish good. It is not Dawn of the Dead. It is not, no, not as all. good as no. Dawn of the Dead. I mean, that had a uniqueness to it and a way that the characters interacted with each other that was enjoyable. And I think that this missed the mark. Is it the worst movie I've seen this year? No. Mortal Kombat no. is hands down the worst movie I've seen this year. And it's not even close. But, oh, well, sorry. <laughs> I, just, I thought that was a dud on arrival. Well, can, can I tell you, I, I had a few misses here okay. with this movie. I mean, there is a few misses in this movie. I'll, I'll grant you that. I'll put it right around just a tick under Kong versus Godzilla. Can I comment on something you said, Gerald, real quick before yes. Mark? Yeah, yeah. Here? I don't know if you guys have noticed, but like filmmakers hardly ever push camera technology to its limits. You know, you have Peter Jackson and Chris Nolan do this really well you know they'll take whatever it is like the red cam or whatever they're doing at the time and they'll really push it to the edge of its capabilities but zach snyder is someone who not only pushes the camera to the edge of its capabilities but he he mixes like you know when he goes into to post-production he really like makes it very artistic his storytelling is not always the best but like he is a very technical and artistic filmmaker and that's not something you come across a lot these days in hollywood well, and I would, all right, so to echo that sentiment there, Josh, is I think that the uh, challenge of bringing Tignataro in after the fact and incorporating her into shots, we saw a little bit of the impact of like trying to work things in with her. We saw him trying to take some of those same strategies and apply them across the rest, rest of the film to make it feel natural and blended, you know? So, I mean, it, it was a very complete, it was a very complete edit and a very complete post-production just in the sense of, you know, the things that we had to do to make Tignataro fit into this film, we tried to apply it in other areas to make it feel like this is all one natural thing. And I think that's where you start looking at that hyper-focus cam where you just hyper-focus on one individual. And Yeah, you know, start... I'm not even talking about Tignataro in that case. I'm talking about the rest of the film, the way it was well, no, shot yeah, and, but... and the way it was perceived. I mean, Tignataro, that's certain circumstances due to the pandemic and the fact that you have the technology around you. And that's what they had to do to go ahead and pull Tignataro off as far as having shooting her after the fact and then superimposing her in everywhere. I'm talking about everything else that was shot. I mean, the way that was right. I mean, I, it I, sounds I like we, it was like Zack Snyder was given a lot of toys to work with. And dang, didn't he use them? I will say the high point for me was uh, one of the high points was the soundtrack. I don't know if you enjoyed the soundtrack, Gerald, but it was. Yeah, I, thought, I mean, it's, yeah. It, he did a great job of, of choosing the right songs, I think, that that fit the mood. We had four issues with the storyline for me that were huge misses. The special ops guys out the front couldn't shoot one of the zombies, but Dave Bautista is going hand to hand with them later. Yeah. Uh, yeah, big miss there for me. Robot zombies. Did you catch that, Gerald? We had a little bit of a robot zombie introduction here at one point in the movie. Dialogue we've already talked about. I did think that Tignataro's one-liners and the her dialogue just specifically was great and helped elevate a lot of the movie. Let's just jump to the very end here. The death scene. Yeah, that was really, 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 really rough for me. That was 10 minutes too long, probably. Well, I know that's a complaint about the movie as well. That's a little too long. It is two and a half hours long. For me, yeah. it's just simple. It followed every lame zombie movie trope that you could. 
you knew who was going to die and when and how. Yeah. You know, when somebody mentions something, how disgusting or terrible it is, guess what they're going to die of later in the movie? You know, yep. you could just tell. For me, again, it just followed every single trope. It, it had the ability to go ahead and branch off into something new, and it chose not to. It followed every trope in the book. And unfortunately, if it was not that for me, that, that thrilling of a movie. Again, it's not the worst thing I've seen this year. Mortal Kombat, unfortunately, is. I know Kong versus Godzilla is in the money for it for me as well. I mean, but I'd probably give it about maybe a 5 out of 10. I, th- I gave Kong versus Godzilla 5.5 out of 10. So I'm going to say 5 out of 10. I mean, if you want to watch it, it's going to pass the time for you. But it's not something I would go out of my way to see again. But it is not a great follow-up to the Justice League, if that's what people are looking for as well. It was also filmed before, like pre-pandemic, though. So I mean, we, you know, I don't know exactly like what happened on the set before that, or like how. Well, it was filmed pre-pandemic, but Tignatero was filmed during the pandemic. Yeah, I know, but I mean, had the pandemic not happened, like I'm just curious. I haven't, again, I haven't seen it, but I'm just curious, like if the end product would have been different. Might have been different, but again, as far as the structure is concerned, it follows many of the same zombie movie tropes that you have seen before, and you could see a lot of these things coming a mile away, and you want to be surprised every now and then as a viewer. You want to be entertained as a viewer. It is not Ocean's 13 in a zombie movie. I want to get that clear. I mean, it does deal with a bank heist, so to speak, but it is not ocean 13 where everybody's laughing and having a good time and enjoyable and the slick and it's stylish it is stylish in its own way i should say but it does not have the same type of style that oceans 13 has nor does it have that same charm and humor and things of that nature it's basically uh, supposed to be that gritty type of zombie flick that you're supposed to enjoy and i didn't really get much out of it i just it was there and i'll move on it's, it's that simple do you have any more thoughts, Marcus? I mean, I know Josh will probably check it out at some point, but it's not something you need to run into, Josh. Like, run towards it. I know it's going to do huge numbers for Netflix. I know it's been heavily marketed, and I know this is something that they're relying heavily on. And, in fact, it does or could. It's leading into – there's a prequel that's going to be animation. I think there might be another prequel live action. I know they're, they're talking about a sequel to it. The success of it is still going to be there paramount. Yeah, so that's the one thing I did want to say was that this is Netflix's next big horror franchise, I think, and we saw the setup here at the very end of the movie. I think we're setting this up, and from what I've read, we're setting this up to be a bigger franchise for Netflix down the road. It's just a shame that it started with what it started with. You know, I was not in a hurry to watch it to begin with, and after hearing you guys talk about it, I think I'm in even less of a hurry to watch it. So we'll see where my time goes. But yeah, I mean, eventually I would like to watch it. It just it just from reading about it, though, like it just doesn't seem like a movie that would be something you'd be like, yeah, let's make like 10 more of these things. I think for me, the issue comes down to Zack Snyder, either do the directing, the producing or do the writing. But when you do all three, there's a big mess that happens always for me. So, dude, if, if you can just get back to just doing the directing, the producing, you know, let somebody else do the story writing. And all you have to do is adapt it and make your own. I think that's that's the best thing for him. One thing I'm going to add last on this is the technology itself that was used. Again, the, the camera, when it that's super focusing in on the individuals that are talking and communicating or that the director wants to go ahead and showcase, that's something 
that is going to be utilized more often in the future. And I look to have it being done a little bit better going forward because this is new technology. And I give Zach all the credit in the world for trying out this new technology, for asking Netflix to go ahead, or maybe Netflix asked him to go ahead and reshoot the scenes with Tignatero and trying to do his best to superimpose in there. And there's sometimes actually where it kind of works. Does it really work 100%? No, but sometimes it actually looks like if you walked in to the living room and you saw it, you saw Tignatero there, there are chance you know that you might not even notice that she was superimposed in there then there are other times that you oh, hey she looks kind of fuzzy she doesn't look really quite right and matching up with everybody it, again it's in the first attempt at doing this in many ways as far as utilizing this technology so i give Zack snyder credit for trying to do something different and outside of the box but as far as the overall movie as far as the structure of the plot and everything else that's the problem he should have gone outside of the box there too. And that's where the movie really misses for me. You know, I'm curious if with all this like backlash that he's getting from like Warner Brothers basically outcasting him, I'm curious if Marvel's like eyeing up some kind of contract with him. Ooh. Because there could be some good stuff that comes out of that. Get ready for some more slow-mos out there, everybody. And, uh... There's some tasteful slow-mo out there, you know. Okay, when, but when you devote over an hour to it in your movie, there's, there's an issue there. As we discussed already, people can go check out that episode out if they want our thoughts on the Justice League. But it is Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. We've had some great thoughts on it, and we will hear about five minutes of Noe and Fine later in the show on it. So we'll go ahead and, and check out his thoughts later in the program. But if you have thoughts on Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead for Netflix, we want to hear your thoughts, both good and bad. Please share them with us, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? If you want to see the coolest action figure collections out there, the stuff that you played with as a kid, hear from industry insiders that made the toys that really truly defined who we are, then you gotta check out season one of Action Figure Adventure. And that means right now you've gotta go to Big Bad Toy Store for the two disc Blu-ray to check out all 10 episodes. I guarantee if you grew up playing toys, you will love Action Figure Adventure. Wow, that was pretty good, that was pretty good. Almost promo worthy there. But, you know, I already asked you for fresh new promos, but that's beside the point. I knew I was supposed to write something else. Well, I guess, Marcus, unless you plan on staying with us. No, he, he wants nothing more to do with us. I got to go watch this NASCAR race. This is a really important day in our household. You know, okay, fair enough, know, fair enough. Race okay. at Austin. So, yeah, all I got to right, go get caught right. up here. Next week is even more important because you got Indy and also the, the Charlotte yeah. 600. So, yeah, Coke 600, whatever uh, it is now. Yeah, yeah, Coke 600. I can't drink Coke anymore. So, there you go. <laughs> all right guys well i do want to say thank you for having me on for uh just the brief discussion on army of the dead and you know i look forward to our next crossover it's always fun josh i feel like i only get to see you for the crossovers now but no, hey man <laughs> we're going to be yeah. doing more in the future crossovers for upcoming you know what so we're gonna be looking forward to that all right hey marcus thanks man careful with that uh left turn into your living room you know there you go. i'll give it a shot we're a road course so it's a left and a right this week there you oh, go that's nice <laughs> all right this is gerald glassford coming right back at you here again with my good friend mr josh peterson aka for this week josh culture cosmos i wanted to ask you this 
the latest release for this week in the video game world, as the games are starting to trickle out, which is a good thing for us gamers, is Biomutant by a company that many still don't consider a AAA factory. I don't consider it a AAA publisher yet. They don't have any catalog, though. I mean, they this is like their first big title they've made. They're just made up of different... Experiment 101 is the developer. Yeah, but I'm talking about THQ Nordic as the publisher. Oh, got yeah, it. THQ yeah, yeah. Nordic is a company that has been able to buy. Like, for instance, they bought THQ. They, they bought other mm-hmm. small outlets. They're trying to grow, and they sometimes put out some good, decent stuff, and they sometimes put out some not-so-decent stuff. So, they're trying to get to the point where they're at, at the level with the big boys. Yeah, and right. this particular release they've been profiling is called Biomutant. Have you had a chance to go ahead and check it out? Yeah, I have. And I'm I'm intrigued, to say the least. This is not something that's been like at the top of my, like, oh, I can't wait to play this. But, I mean, on the positive side, it is going to be free to Games Pass users. So, on that note, I don't see any harm in trying it. You know, if you, if you look at the gameplay videos, it the color palettes are very bright. You know, it looks really cool. But it does have, like, an, an aura of kiddiness to it. Have you noticed that? Like, it just yes. it feels... Even the monsters, even the bosses, yeah, they're... Like, yeah, like if you armed the characters in Winnie the Pooh with like spears and guns, like that's kind of what it feels like. And maybe the whole game's not like that. Maybe there's like a point to all this in the story. I don't know. But I don't know. When I look at it, it just doesn't bring my like stoked factor up to like a 10. You know, it's maybe like sitting around a six or seven. Same here. It's an open world RPG. Not like you heard about that before. But it's an open world, third person, over the shoulder RPG, gives you an idea with a character that's supposed to be your protagonist. The closest I could probably say is Rocket Raccoon, probably be the closest I could probably say, because it is a creature that was built from different things and things of that nature. A character that I think a lot of people might endear themselves to. For me, it has a lot of like that conquer bad fur day without maybe the comedy per se, because... it, to me, it seems a lot like a little bit like that because it, yeah. it's 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 a more adult game, in a sense, but it looks more like a kids game, if that makes sense. And if you look like at the video of you know the main character when he's he or she whatever it is starts to run, it kind of like gives me that feeling of like running through the levels on Spyro the Dragon and ramming into things because like the character gets down on all four legs and you can do like the run. And the jump, you know, where you like arch your back and try to get more speed. So, I, I mean, maybe it's like a game that's like could be enjoyed by kids, but is also like designed to be enjoyed by adults, much like Spyro the Dragon was. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it is something that I do want to look into. I mean, Brian Wegner's super excited about it from Super BS Gamescast. You know, maybe I'll check it out and, you know, I'll, I'll have some thoughts on it. But do you have any intention to play this game? I do have some attention to play this game. I, I know it's coming out to several platforms. Maybe we can even get Brian, or if you could tape a segment with Brian to go ahead and share thoughts on it. I'd love to hear more on it because it's, it's again, THQ Nordic is pushing this game as best they can, but since they're not the publisher at the level, and that's part of the issue. We have a game that could be a breakout hit for them, 
Right. But since they're not at the level of publisher, let's say an EA or an Activision or Bethesda or anything like that, they can only push it so far. They can only put it in front of everybody as far as gamers concerned so far. And it's going to be one of those things where if a general audience is going to react to it, it's going to have to be something that they discover. I mean, gamers like you and I will know about it. But the problem yeah. is to a larger audience, will they know about it just because of the sheer size difference that THQ Nordic has, comparatively speaking? THQ Nordic, to me, is one of the last bastion of mid-tier publishers. Remember back in the early 2000s and mid-2000s, mm -hmm. like 2004 or five when there was nothing but a sea of double A mid-tier publishers. Oh, absolutely. And either they got bought out or they they went belly up on it, you know, because a lot with a lot of them, it all it took was one or two failures and they'd go belly up. Or if they showed some promise, a larger entity would come and swallow them up as far as, you know, just the big fish and the little fish and the pool and still sucking them up right yeah. up. So so to me, THQ Nordic has grown from I don't think was the best or most auspicious start because they were they were bringing out a lot of junk earlier as far as uh, Nordic is concerned. But mm -hmm. then they got the right THQ rights and then they got some other stuff and they bought into some other game studios, smaller game studios, and they've made themselves a reputation where it could swing either way. And Biomutant could be that game that gets them on that higher level of platform. Yeah, they got a lot of like hit and miss games out here. Right now at Walmart, you can actually buy like a lot of THQ Nordic games are on clearance for three cents. Like you can go to a Walmart and like I would call them first just to see if it's like not all Walmarts are doing it. But like I was reading that you can pick up like Desperados 3 and some MX ATV games for three cents. But see, um, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, the, the only time they would ever do that for EA games is for right now Madden 2014. You know, mm -hmm. it just it wouldn't be something that they would do for recent EA games or recent right. Activision games. That, that, not to say they wouldn't discount them, but they wouldn't discount them that much. Yeah. And it's I guess like the real shame here is the fact that like, you know, a game like Desperados 3 or Darksiders, like for Desperados 3, like we got to talk with the people that run Mimi Me games on the Super BS Games cast. And like they're really cool guys and their games are really fun. But I mean, maybe just the idea of being associated with THQ Nordic is kind of, I guess, equivalent to like Devolver Digital, you know, like it's just one of those publishers that kind of one of the it, other right. publishers that are out there. It's like having a book and having it like guaranteed that's going to be in the clearance bin within six months, which is a shame because that game was reviewed pretty well, pretty strongly. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think there were some other titles that are also have some decent reviews on there. But again, the stature of the publisher that weighs behind it, I think either elevates or brings down the level of the game that's being produced. And in this case, in the past with those games, like you said, they're, they're down to three cents on clearance because of the fact that they just don't have that publisher support that I think is needed. And with Biomutant, I'm very worried for the same that Biomutant will disappear within 10 days. And that it'll just become another game. And this could be a game that, if it's received well, could give this entire platform. Biomutant could become a series. Biomutant could become a series of games, like I was saying. Mm -hmm. They could become also, as well, something that you could do spinoffs and shoots for. But 
then again, it could die a horrible death and just be another title that THQ Nordic sweeps under the rug because this is not going to bankrupt THQ Nordic whether or not this game hits or misses because they at least have enough money to buy all these studios. So I'm assuming they have a lot of cash on hand. But still, to me, I think that this could be a game that if it does well, could bring THQ Nordic to a different level. Yeah, and it's fortunate too, you know, like we said, it's on Games Pass, so people don't have to go out and spend $60 to play it. They can just kind of queue it up on their Xbox and check it out. So hopefully that would be something that would get more hands on it than it would have had it not been, you know, part of the Games Pass deal. Well, once again, it is Biomutant. It is a creature, I guess you could probably say similar to Rocket Raccoon manufactured and created to go ahead and traverse through this open world rpg third person over the shoulder type deal and it looks very interesting it looks uh, a lot as far as you use a lot of combat melee shooting the whole nine yards so it looks very interesting if you have thoughts on it this week because it is coming out on the 25th to gamers out there so if you have thoughts on it once you start playing it please we'd love to hear your thoughts are you excited for it are you ready to get your hands dirty into the world of biomutant please share us your thoughts popculturecosmos at yahoo.com well just before the break my friend and we go ahead and hit up with noah ian fine from honey queen wanted to go ahead and ask your thoughts real quick on the bad batch i i know you and i as you know our star wars love fades and gets strong depending on the product I mean, with Mandalorian on this after season two, you and I were on an all-time high. Star Wars has returned to Disney Plus with the Bad Batch. I had a chance to check out the pilot episode, and I know that coming off the high from Falcon and Winter Soldier, it's kind of hard to say that this is a come down and this is a letdown. But I'm going to have to say this out loud: this is a come down and this is a letdown for Disney Plus. Yeah, so that's one thing I was kind of wondering when they announced all those Star Wars properties, like not all of those are going to be like a hit, you know, it's not all going to be amazing shows, you know, and like having that many things planned at once, like I feel like it's a bad idea because you could have something like The Mandalorian, which raised the bar all the way up here and then have something that really just drags people's hatred of Star Wars back down post episode nine so it's it's a very risky move that they made by like announcing so many projects but you know it could get better i i haven't watched it you haven't said like great things about it so i'm just it's it's okay the thing is and and the thing you and i like is the fact that when they delve into other sides of the star wars universe and this delves into another side of the star wars universe after star wars the clone wars because the same individuals, Dave Filoni and all the individuals that made Star Wars Clone Wars are involved with this. It's just that I don't think it's a series anybody will care about, even if it is good. And I thought it wasn't I thought it wasn't bad. I thought it was OK. It's just I just don't think that people are really going to get into it because it's not compelling enough. It, it doesn't bring you characters that people really super mm-hmm. want to get behind. It delves into another part of the Star Wars universe, which is great because, again, we're seeing all these different stories branch out. It's just I'm not sure it's one everybody wanted to check out. Well, and that's a a thing that Star Wars has always struggled with is the fact that, like, they like to make, you know, Lucasfilms and I guess Disney now like to explore avenues of the universe that people don't really care about that much. You know, for example, 
the Rogue One prequel. Like, I like those characters, but I don't care about them enough to be like, oh, yeah, I wonder where they came from. You know, like I was in and out of Clone Wars because like I liked Clone Wars, but a lot of the stuff that they were talking about, I didn't really care that much about. So, you know, I was in and out of that show. And it, it's like they do that with their books, too. It's it's the same exact thing. So, you know, and I guess the big test here is as the next, I guess, Star Wars film coming out what is uh, Patty Jenkins. What was it? Squadron? X-Squadron? Rogue, or whatever, Rogue, Rogue Squadron. Squadron. Yeah, like, are they going to be able to make that interesting? You know, like, that's a big risk, too, because when I first heard about that project, I'm like, you know, it's cool to have non-Jedi stuff going on, much like they did in Rogue One. But, like, if this is just going to be another, like, wing commander, I just don't really see that being appealing to even, you know, casual Star Wars fans or hardcore Star Wars fans. It's got to be something that people need to get back into. I mean, I know people at some point are going to say, hey, if I'm going to go to the movie theaters for a Star Wars movie, I want it to lead to something. Because Marvel and Star Wars previous have spoiled with us with a connected storyline. And if Mm -hmm. you're just going to do one-offs each and every time out, it's great to supplement with one-offs, but it's not great when you're going to just go ahead and give everybody one-off or whatever Taika is going to do and whatever Kevin Feige is going to do within the Star Wars universe, as far as one-offs are concerned. If it's not going to tie into each other into an overarching connected storyline, you'll lose interest with other Star Wars fans or future Star Wars fans as well. Well, and that's the issue too. Like you look at something like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, everything has become interconnected. Same thing in the comic books. So like when, you know, they have like a one-shot or one-off come out, much like those little shorts they had in the beginning of the special features of the DVDs back in the day, like, people don't really care to watch that because it doesn't help like tie them into what's already going on and what's already going on. If you're just jumping into it can be exhausting to even consider trying to catch up on because there's so much existing storylines already. I'll tell you what, I know there's a lot of people out there that have thoughts on the bad batch, but I don't think it's enough to really move the needle for Disney plus. And I know in the coming weeks, we're going to, read what Nielsen will have to say on it as far as the response to it. I don't think you're going to see the kind of response to it as the Falcon Winter Soldier, which I think was an outstanding series. The best one so far for Marvel, just slightly over the all over the place WandaVision. But both were, were very, very good series that I think a lot of people enjoyed. And obviously with the numbers so high for both of those series, The Bad Batch is not going to be at that level of popularity. I think people need to get accustomed to it. I'm worried about Loki because it does not have that lead-in of of high volume or people need to be interested in the watch. Thing is, that's what I worry about the most. Loki is not going to get that lead-in that I was hoping that they would have because everybody was coming off the high of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, I think with Loki, though, what's going to be a big pulling factor to that is that it is, in fact, connecting to the next set of like Marvel films to come out because this is another jump into the multiverse, which is something that's going to be explored heavily. So there's more than likely there's going to be big ties to, you know, whether it's the next Spider-Man film or Doctor Strange, we're going to see some kind of thing that connects like really, I guess, like spreads the veins into the marvel body a little more but it is the bad batch again i got a chance to see the first pilot episode i probably will get into the rest of it at some point in time but i'm not jumping back into it right away what are your thoughts out there on star wars the bad batch pop culture cosmos at yahoo.com
We're coming up after the break. It's Noe and Fine real quick sharing his thoughts on Army of the Dead. And we'll be closing out the show with Nobody and Mass Effect Legendary Edition. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. All right, and we're back once again with the Pop Culture Cosmos. Just want to make sure everybody knows out there we run a ton of tabletop RPG games, so please go ahead and check out what we do on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook in regards to our tabletop RPGs each and every week. But... There's still so much more to talk about on today's program because we have a special guest here once again to share his vitriol over the latest outing from Netflix. You already heard what I said in regards to it, and you also heard what Marcus de la Garza said in regards to Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. But here today to talk about Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead because he really, really wanted to go ahead and vent. is a good man indeed. you got to catch his returning show, Honey Queen, wherever you get your podcasts. It is Noah Ian Fine. Noah, great to have you back on. I know you want to vent. So I will let you vent for a few minutes on today's program. And thank you for having me on, as always, Gerald. And I want to be on when you're more chipper about certain things, but then again, it wouldn't be a vitriol fest without knowing fine. Well, here's the thing, though. I don't like being so cynical and tearing these movies apart like a zombie meal. Here's my problem, though. It took me about a day and a half to watch this two-hour and 48-minute fest. So I noticed on your social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here, here's the thing, though. The biggest problem with this movie is the pacing. It drags like a shuffling zombie. No, I mean, I, I will never watch this again. I'm going to be a little fairer than I was before when I reviewed this movie this morning. I would actually give this a two and a half out of five. But for me, no, I wouldn't rewatch it unless there was a cut to trim this down to an hour and a half. If I can come back next week and the listeners out there, because I think we need a little bit more of a positive review. And I'm going to be doing this as well on my show. But I actually came up with another bonus podcast before I do something. And I'll be announcing something I'm doing for the month of June. But something just came up that I think is going to be rather interesting to discuss. But until then, Gerald, again, thank you very much for having me on the series. Oh, you know, my friend, anytime. I know you really wanted to go ahead and share some vitriol on it. And I can't say I blame you. If you really want to check out a Zack Snyder zombie movie, Dawn of the Dead is wholeheartedly recommended more than this one and any other the most widely praised zombie movies that are out there that I think are much better than this. But it is Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. It's available on Netflix now. And all I can say is, Noah, looking forward to you coming back on next week or at any time at all right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Want to thank so much Noe and Fine from Honey Queen and also our good friend, Mr. Marcus De La Garza, who you will see on Friday's show, the PCC Multiverse, for sharing their thoughts on Zack Snyder's very divisive Army of the Dead. Although, 
on this show was like not that divisive because I just didn't really care for it. But there are a lot of people out there, I think, on social media that I'm seeing that does. But if you have thoughts for it, if you really like it or if you didn't like it, please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. But I want to thank so much, everybody, for watching and listening. And a special shout-out to all the radio listeners out there for our over 40 radio stations worldwide. Cannot thank you enough for being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. But before we head on out, last month, it was one of the first real movies to make any kind of dent at the box office here in the United States. It was number one for a week, I think, if not two. And that was Nobody with Bob Odenkirk, who plays a just an everyman, forgettable man, just with a, with a wife and kids who has a secret past that he decides to bring out and his battle against the Russian mafia. Huh. Kind of sounds like John Wick, doesn't it? Well, it, it does have a lot of heavy doses of wannabe John Wick. Is it as good as John Wick? One, two, or three? Probably going to say no, but it is still a solid movie. And it's something that it is set up for possible future endeavors. It's just at every movie these days, you know, they always got to have a sequel. But I think it wasn't a bad turn. I think it was, it was pretty solid. I give it about a 7 out of 10. And I think it's something that if you really need to scratch that John Wick itch while we're waiting for John Wick 4, I think nobody. It kind of does a trick. They did a good job marketing it and making it look intriguing. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to be jumping into it. I don't blame you. I mean, it's okay. It's okay for what it is. It's a nice popcorn flick and is something that models itself heavily off of the John Wick franchise and it could lead to its own franchise. I don't think it'll ever reach the heights of John Wick, but then again, it's going to be something that if you can keep the cost down on, it could be a nice little moneymaker for Bob Odenkirk and also everyone involved with Nobody. So we'll wait and see if Nobody 2 comes out or anything like that, but it's something that I think people every now and then, if they want to get that itch scratch that they don't have right now in their lives with John Wick, it might just do that. But what are your thoughts out there on Nobody? If you checked it out, it was number one at the box office last month, and it might have a future as a series. But is it John Wick? Or is it better than John Wick? Or is it not as good as John Wick, in your opinion? Because it heavily models itself after John Wick. Please, share your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode, but I left some time on this week's show so that we can talk what we want to talk about when it concerns Mass Effect Legendary Edition, because you know we cannot have enough of Mass Effect in our lives. And you and I finally got a little bit of a taste into it. I'm thinking about streaming it. I'm kind of weighing this back and forth, and I'll give you a reason why. It's because if I want to stream it, I have to turn the music off. And to me, music is so much a part of this game. And I'm struggling with that, my friend. I'm struggling with it. Yeah, I, those those Twitch rules are kind of... Can you, you can stream it on YouTube and still play the music. But like with Twitch, it's such a weird, weird thing. You got a chance to delve into it. So share me your thoughts on Mass Effect Legendary Edition as you've dipped your toes once again into this world. I enjoyed going back into this world. I was telling Brian that like it feels nice because you know I remember being a teenager and playing this game. This game came out like the year after I graduated high school, so I want to say I was like nineteen when it came out. And I spent so many hours in this game, and like just being on the Normandy, it feels like home. Like it just it feels like I've been I went home after all these years of being away. So that's a nice feeling. 
my big beef with the game itself so far is the fact that they should have focused more on remaking instead of remastering because you look at it in the cinematics, the skin tones, they did a great job of like making the skin tones. And this look- is the original one, correct? Mass Effect. Yes, is Mass Effect one. They did a good job of making the skin tones look more natural. Like remember in originally in the other ones, the skin tones had like this annoying gloss on it to where they looked like they were like claymation characters. And they did a good job in the cinematics of making the skin tones look more natural. But then when it switches over to gameplay, they immediately look like claymation characters again. So like there's things that they they made better and then things that they didn't really even touch. So they still have like the issue with like the lips don't match the dialogue or they open the mouths open far too wide for anyone who's just saying a small word. Again, like I forgot how long you spend in the Citadel in the beginning of that game. Like I just, you know, I think I'm like, six hours in and i just left the citadel after shepherd became a specter i am excited to play more though what about you though what are your thoughts i'm just dipping my toes in the water i'm actually still at eden prime and it to me i've just spent so much time navigating through the menus to start off with i'm looking at it and it just looks so much better to me than what i saw out of a 480p television so long ago playing it on my xbox 360 and thinking this was awesome at that time and then i see it now and it's just like i know it still has the texture issues and things of that nature but it just looks so much more colorful the the colors as you always say on the show the colors pop and they really pop really loud to me it's awesome to me it's just incredible i'm playing through this extremely slowly but to me this clearly looks like a game that would do very well like in 2017 this would be like not cutting edge in 2017 but this would be something that 10 years later would look very good if it just was announced and it just came out and we would still be all over it yeah yeah and i i honestly like i'm hopeful that a lot of people are playing this game so that would get you know, more interest in another and continuing the Mass Effect franchise. You know, and another thing like I admire is that like the sound in the game is so much better than it was before. Like before yeah. when there were like action scenes going on, the stuff in the background often like made it really hard to hear what the characters were saying, but they really brought the character voices to the forefront of what's going on. So you can hear them a lot. There's still audio pops sometimes when you mm-hmm. enter a scene. But like you said, the buildup and the orchestral movement, it just sounds so much better, so much clearer at times. I agree with you, my friend. I think that hopefully this will be a kickstart, not for people's interests of our age, but newer gamers that are giving it a try for the first time, that they'll be interested in the next Mass Effect, which has already been announced and is in development. And I'm hopeful that that is the case. But I'm also hopeful that Mass Effect the what television series or movie or whatever that we had talked about Henry Cavill looking at. I'm hoping that this interest, because I can tell you that there's a lot of interest in Mass Effect Legendary Edition. I think there was as much, if not more, all over social media and all over these sites, more interest than Resident Evil Village. I think if it keeps this kind of response and interest, I think it will signal to Hollywood that maybe we should start getting going on a project in a time where like Star Trek's making a comeback and people are kind of down on Star Wars, like we need more like big money space franchises, space exploration franchise. I think that Mass this Effect- is a space opera, man. This is yeah. nothing but a space opera. And that's yeah. why I love it. And yeah, and I think Mass Effect could easily scratch that itch for a lot of people. 
What are your thoughts out there on Mass Effect Legendary Edition? And where do you think it will take the Mass Effect series? Share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode. Like I said earlier, thank you so much for being a part of it. As always, any last thoughts on the way out? We are going to have to tackle on an upcoming episode another trip to Rumor Mill where Netflix might be diving into game streaming. We're going to have to go and take a trip to Rumorville, indeed. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. Thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great